Not too long ago here in the Tech Emergence podcast, we had on board the CEO of Neurolysis, which was recently acquired by Intel for close to half a billion dollars. Neurolysis, however, is not the only player in the horizontal technology space of machine vision and artificial intelligence. There's other folks really working away at becoming the base technology where some of this hard machine learning work will be done. One such company is called Kojitai. Mark Ring is the CEO of Kojitai. He joins us in this episode of the Tech Emergence Podcast to talk about the difference between supervised learning and reinforcement learning and where Kojitai aims to take reinforcement learning to the next level. Although their company, again, is a horizontal technology, Mark talks a little bit about where he sees some potential future improvements of real genuine understanding in machines, whether it be in vehicles and consumer applications, etc. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So, Mark, I know we're going to speak a little bit to the idea of continual learning on the call today, which I know is a focus of Kojitai. You had talked a little bit off mic about the distinction between supervised and reinforcement learning, sort of being a a little bit of an important tenet in terms of what you folks are after today. Clarify that distinction for the people tuned in who may or may not have gone to school for that stuff. Great. Uh, Thank you. Uh, It's nice to be here. And let me explain a little bit about supervised learning uh, versus reinforcement learning continual learning too. Supervised learning is simply learning to map inputs to outputs. So typically it's used when there's a, a large amount of data and for every data sample, the person who's collected the data knows how that data should be mapped. So for example, we could have uh, pictures, pictures of things, and the data could, could be mapped to targets, which are labels that describe what's in the picture. So for example, the targets could be something like a cat. There's a cat in the picture, or there's a dog in the picture, or, or this is a picture of, of Mr. Spock. Uh, <laughs> the algorithm simply has to learn the mapping from the input, in this case, a picture, to the output, in this case, what the label is expected to be. That's all that the algorithm has to do, and it has to, to learn this. These days, there are some excellent algorithms that can do this extremely well, even for huge amounts of data and for very subtle distinctions that have to be made within those data. Now, reinforcement learning is really a very different paradigm of learning. This is when the reinforcement learning algorithm or agent sits in between senses and actions. So the agent is taking actions in response to what it senses. What it's trying to do is achieve through the actions that it takes to maximize how much reward it gets or how much reinforcement it gets. It takes actions, it gets senses, it interacts with an environment in order to optimize or maximize the reward it gets. And in doing so, uh, it's usually set up to be able to perform a task particularly well. So it might be given a task. Now, the obvious example that's used here is sort of the archetype is running a maze, uh, uh, learning okay. to, to interact with the maze, making decisions about whether to turn left or right or go forward, and in the end, getting a piece of cheese. It's a, a, a reward, a, a value of plus or minus one, something like this. And then learning to optimize its way through the maze. And this can be used in a lot of generally small tasks that uh, where the, a very large body of knowledge has been built up as to how to make these algorithms work. Tell me if I'm, if I'm on the right case here for clarifying this for the audience, Mark, but it sounds as though in a reinforcement learning case, we don't have the same clarity about what that, that output is where, where we can really give as much of a thumbs up or a thumbs down as we can with, let's say, classifying images where, all right, hey, you know, uh, the computer thought that this was a cat. 
As it turns out, that is a cat. So thumbs up. Um, in, in a reinforcement learning case, again, like you said, there's that interaction with reality where maybe we, we can't really say, you know, like in, in the maze, it's really tough to say, oh, left turn, that's good. Right turn, that's good. It's more about that ongoing behavior of eventually getting itself to the end. I'm trying to put this in words. I'm not sure if that's that's doing it justice. That's exactly right. Okay. Uh, it's the sequentiality of the process that you're alluding to here. In AI, we call the sequential decision-making. So it's actually the sequence of decisions that are made on the path from the beginning to the end. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an end, but it's the sequence of decisions that the agent makes in response to what it sees that it has to optimize. And, and this is very different from the supervised learning case where whether it sees a cat now or whether it sees Mr. Spock now is not relevant what the ordering is. In the reinforcement yes, learning case, yes. ordering of decisions is, is critical. Indeed. Okay. So the example that I'm familiar with here is um, we had uh, Adam Coates uh, at Baidu on the program a while ago, and, and they, they had talked about some of his reinforcement learning endeavors at Stanford in, in a, the case of a an autonomous helicopter, where this helicopter had to learn to fly from one place to another and sort of deal with wind and deal with, you know, how fast its rotors would have to go in order to make certain turns or in order to, to keep a certain height above the ground that was sort of the objective for it. And so it was constantly sort of calibrating with its behavior in real time. A right turn was not always right. It was only right in relation to what it was sensing. Um, and so I guess this this would have been more of a, a reinforcement learning case. And it's not something you'd be able to do with the same kind of machinery where you would you know pick out cats. Exactly. That's okay. exactly right. Yeah. And and what's done right now has an impact on what happens to the helicopter a few seconds from now, or maybe even a few minutes from now. Yep. So there's this long-term temporal impact of decision-making that has to be taken into account. And I know that your company now, there's sort of an extrapolated idea of this that is referred to, at least on the website, as continual learning. I wasn't sure if this was a take on reinforcement learning, a thought about the paradigm of where maybe reinforcement learning could bring us. How do you put the term continual learning in a nutshell? I know it's a big part of sort of what you're shooting for. Yes, uh, thank you, that's a good question. It's actually similar to reinforcement learning in many ways, but also different. Continual learning is really about the autonomous incremental development of ever more complex skills and knowledge. It's about building up an understanding of the environment. So in the reinforcement learning case, there's a specific task that the reinforcement learning agent is trying to accomplish, trying to optimize its behavior for. For the continual learning agent, there is no such task. That is not the goal of the agent. The agent is trying to learn how its world works. It's trying to build up skills and knowledge incrementally, step by step, to come up with a, an ever more sophisticated understanding of its environment. That's interesting because to some degree, at least to my knowledge, Mark, and, and this is, of course, the great trajectory is sort of putting off more and more of what we do onto machines, but that higher level thinking about how does the world really work here? What do we understand about our situation? Those are the kinds of things that we want to sort of preload into a machine, either with rules or with how we tool it or with the data that we pump through it. Those are normally not the kind of base understandings and groundings that the machine itself gleans from, from the world, if I'm on the right page. Yes, you're, you're definitely on the right page. And uh, in the past, we thought that a lot of this could just be 
programmed into the computer uh, by hand. Yeah. A lot of the yeah. understanding that machines need to have to understand the world could be encoded by hand. Psych is a, a <laughs> example of this, a, a big project where uh, knowledge was ex- with, is being encoded and has been for a couple of decades by hand into a computer. So our premise is that in order for real knowledge to be built up in a machine, it has to be acquired in the same kind of way that we humans do, and that is through experience, by experiencing the world and building up an understanding of how the world works through senses and actions, through a sensory motor stream, understanding how the world responds to the actions that the agent makes. And this is will allow the agent to build up over time an understanding of the abstract aspects of the environment, as well as the the low level aspects of the environment. Yeah, so it, it can it can bridge the gap, sort of that 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 reality gap that I think just hard coded rules will always have a problem with. No matter how many millions of years you have to peck them into a computer, there's always so much nuance to sort of how the real world works and how those adjustments have to be made. That I think. You know, as, as as optimistic as folks were about robotics, you know, in the seventies or, or early eighties or something, you know, I think I think we've had to kind of learn the hard way that that hasn't exactly panned out all that well. The tasks of dexterity in the real world, you know, picking up a, a cup or you know folding laundry, uh, you can't simply have a number of rules because there's going to be an infinite number of small circumstances where you have to have the sensory degree of dexterity and, and really pick that up uh, from the world itself, and that seems to be the goal here. And it's interesting to me, Mark, that you can sort of anchor a company. That's a cool thing about having kind of a, a horizontal kind of technology company like the one that you folks are working on rather than a particular area of application is that you can build it off of a core hypothesis about what the future of intelligence could be. And it sounds like that's sort of where you've anchored this. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's fun. I, I like that from from the, uh, you know, leaving sort of just the nitty gritty of, you know, what's the balance sheet going to look like to really thinking about the distant future in a little bit more of an exciting way. And obviously, you've had to do a lot of that in terms of imagining where this might eventually apply itself. And, you know, for right now, you know, in terms of our our conversation, I imagine I'll just be thinking through how this might apply to real world situations. When we were talking off mic, you had mentioned how, well, I mean, we just talked about a maze here. You had talked about vehicles uh, a little bit earlier in our in our conversation. Hypothetically, if we're using the example of, of cars, I can see how reinforcement learning, I imagine, is already playing a pretty good role in, in, in the uh, the domain of, uh, of autonomous vehicles in terms of staying in the proper lane and not having jerky starts or stops or whatever the, the various objectives are that are being rewarded sort of calibrating and grooming that that machine behavior, what would that look like if it went a step farther, if cars could maybe learn more, glean more from from the environment themselves and sort of get an understanding for, like, would would, would the car of the future potentially, Mark, have a deeper understanding of, you know, roads themselves, about the act of driving itself, about navigation from particular space to particular space and given certain timeframes, what, what would sort of, what might be knocked up a notch if we went farther than where reinforcement learning is today in vehicles? So I think that's a, a really good uh, example of a case that we can uh, talk about. Cool. It's not my area of expertise, so I will talk about it sort of at a high level. But yep, yep. what could eventually be possible? I think that's an excellent question. And I think what is possible is exactly what we refer to, a, a deeper understanding, a deeper understanding of everything that the car comes into contact, or into contact with. So... In uh, 
in addition to just having sensory signals that tell it um, what its GPS location is and, and what uh, nearby streets are and what intersections are and, and sensory information that tells it that there's an object that it's moving in this particular direction, it should, over time, be able to develop an understanding of what these objects are and how they behave and what to expect from them. It would should on its own, this is again speaking about what could be possible, developing an understanding of what the how these objects that it sees would interact with each other and make predictions about how that would be. So that a child is chasing a ball, then it could build up a prediction of what's going to happen that's going to be different from a plastic bag that is rolling across the road and could therefore make better decisions based on this deeper understanding. Interesting. Okay, I think I'm following you here. So again, and, and this is how we learn, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I don't know if there is a particular neural clump somewhere behind the right ear where we have an understanding that when you're in a moving vehicle, you should stop for a child chasing a ball. That, that doesn't exist. Um, you know, I don't think balls are represented in our brain at all, nor are vehicles, but we gain an understanding of how humans behave. And if we see a child chasing something that it wants, we might understand that if that thing has momentum in a certain direction, that child might come right after it. Like you said, it might behave differently than a child playing you know, with a ball that's maybe more stationary or not moving in the direction of the road or something like this. Yes. Or, or, and, and so maybe, maybe a machine in, in addition would, you know, if, if it's gaining an understanding of certain intersections, it might, it might have learned from previous experience that maybe during rainy times or particularly cold times, or it might also be wet out, it's often had this kind of an experience at this particular intersection. It's constantly had to slow itself down halfway through the turn. And it knows that since it's already raining, it should hit this turn with maybe, you know, 18% less of the speed that it would normally be at so that it doesn't have to have a little bit of a jerky stop or something along those lines. I'm, I'm throwing hypotheticals yes. at you. but so, so that example, I think, would be a good example of something that reinforcement learning by itself could have. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So uh, that it's taken certain actions before and that over time, it's going to learn to optimize what to do in specific cases and specific places. The continual learning part of this is how can it build that up into uh, higher levels, more abstract kinds of knowledge? And, and that might be to make, for example, the prediction that uh, when I turn this corner here, I'm likely to see certain kinds of people engage in certain kinds of activity. And that I might see this at certain times of day. Not only that, but depending on how fast I make this curve, it's going to have, cause these people to react in a different kinds of way. And I can make predictions at these higher levels. So that would be sort of just going along with your thinking here, uh, brainstorming, what continual learning brings that goes beyond just reinforcement learning. Got it. And I like the distinction, Mark, so I appreciate that. I think it's, it's interesting to note, you know, what can already be done now versus what really can't, what's a bit more abstract that we would need something beyond what would currently be um, reinforcement learning in order to eventually get there. I'm thinking of another possible example, and you can let me know if my imagination's taking me in the right directions as I try to paint what this learning as we're acting and building up a model of the world would look like. There's a lot of talk. I was at a covering a venture beat conference um, in San Francisco recently, where there's a lot of work in the in the sort of bot space. So having these sort of personal assistants and chat bots for whether it be a particular application or whether it just be anything and everything in your phone, being able to communicate via your phone in order to you know order flowers for someone before you get home, find the best place for dinner, figure out when your next appointment is, send somebody a message, to just be able to use 
voice communication in that way and maybe even have it respond in voice. I, I think what was talked about in terms of where where people's hopes really lie for, for companies, there were folks from McDonald's and uh, uh, Whole Foods and some other big, big stores up there that are aiming to up the level of bot involvement is that maybe at some point you would have machines that would calibrate to situations because they would learn maybe when it's not appropriate to, to speak about certain things um, or, or when certain kind of information is not needed. Even if normally this is when you would ask for this kind of an update, maybe you wouldn't want that kind of an update if you're at work, for example, you know, if, if it sort of learns that maybe that's that's not exactly you know, an appropriate time. Or, or maybe if you're trying to plan something uh, as a surprise birthday party for your wife, and maybe it would realize not to sort of bring that up if this was a secret, you know, in, in a context where maybe that person would be and, and could kind of calibrate a little bit more to you. Again, I'm, I'm stretching because uh, I'm trying to find something that, that you can riff with, but I'm trying to think about where the, the chatbot world could go beyond current reinforcement learning. Great. Yeah. Uh, context is the important term that you brought up there. Context is really what needs to be found. So what is the context for when the chatbot in this case should decide to do this Whether uh, instead of that? What is the context? Figuring out what that context is can be very, very sophisticated. There's so much information that the chatbot could be exposed to about a person's behavior, about the person's preferences. And what the chatbot in your case, in the case of this example, would have to hone in on is what is it that distinguishes the case where it should send the message versus the case where it shouldn't send the message. And so this is a really good example where continual learning could go beyond reinforcement learning, because in the case of something like reinforcement learning, we have to do a statistical analysis, essentially, of all of the different cues that might clue the chatbot in as to whether it should do A instead of B. But if it has an understanding, a deeper understanding of what it is that is going on behind the scenes, then it can potentially, just taking your imagination a little bit farther, could potentially hone in on what are the most important cues for making this decision. So it's not going to be the, the temperature that and it's not yeah. going to be what the, the person's, whether the person brushes teeth or not in the morning, it's going to be things specifically related in this case to his birthday and maybe to, uh, the, to the, the person's personal preferences about whether he likes to be surprised or not. So yep, yep. there's so much information and this is where a deep understanding of what that information means could be very helpful. Yeah. Understanding context, which again, right now is, is a, a pretty tough nut to crack and again involves or at least we assume it involves the same kind of smarts that that we have. If you call up Whole Foods because a delivery uh, of a particular set of groceries is late, and then you you ask uh, its chatbot about that same set of, of uh, groceries, the chatbot is not going to start up the conversation knowing what you said on the phone today, at least not today. So the, the context is lost. You're sort of starting from scratch, and it's giving you answers, and, and it's not pulling from how long has this been late? How many times have you reached out? And so again, it doesn't have that, that same kind of social tactic that we associate with context. Well, I certainly hope, at least in the Whole Foods example, that in the future it will. And Mark, hopefully if you guys continue to crack away at where you're at, we'll get closer there too. Um, that's all the time that we have, but I'm, I'm glad that we were able to get into some of your vision for the future of AI and shake out some ideas today, Mark. Thanks for being here on the Tech Immersion Podcast. Well, thank you.
that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.